and you uh, have another video, which is a metaphor. I have a dream. This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its dream. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. In order to compete, do not risk incurring the anger of the Chinese government. With all due respect, that's a bunch of malarkey. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Democracy simply doesn't work. It's the Ricochet Podcast with Rob Law. Peter Robinson is off this week. I'm James Lilac, and we talk to Walter Kern, novelist and sage of Montana. So let's have ourselves a podcast. Welcome, everybody. It's the Ricochet Podcast, number 579. You can join us at ricochet.com. And, and Rob's already laughing. That's a I, good Every time you say the number, the number, the number is so high. It's crazy. 579. Yet nothing that we have done has, has made any old aging septuagenarian rock star from a previous era demand that we be taken off whatever platforms that we're on because of the, the misinformation and the, the right. hate, frankly. That was that was spread, right? Well, that's Rob Long there, of course, spreading hate. And it, where are you, Rob? You are not in New York. We know that Peter is somewhere in the wind. No idea. I'm not in New York. Um, uh, a couple of days, so um, which I feel I feel I, I actually feel happy about. And I shouldn't I can say this because he's not here. I'm happy that he is having weather-related difficulties because uh, I'm tired of hearing all about how beautiful the weather is in Palo Alto. So now he has to bring perfect in California, right? Yeah. Good for him. Yes, but I am. Uh, so you asked the question. You asked. Yeah, I was lying in New Orleans, where it is, you know, where it is uh, rainy and for them very cold, although it's only forty-six degrees. Swampy and haunted by history, the people. Yep. Just like me. Um, yeah, I'm dealing. I'm dealing with a dusting of snow, the most irritating kind of snow there is, because it falls in a powdery fashion. It's not enough to snow blow. It's hardly enough to shovel. What you want to do is get out there with a you know can of compressed air, like you use to com- clean your computer right. keyboard, and just do the sidewalk that way. But no, I'm going to have to get out there and get the snow off, so the people, three people, walking their dog in the four below weather, have a uh, have a smooth path. Right. Well, news. Oh, news. We have it. You know, there's the uh, news about the national debt passing the three point trillion mark or thirty. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. But oh, for the days. Oh, yeah. for the halcyon days of three trillion. No, thirty trillion. But you know, three trillion, thirty trillion. Pretty soon, you're talking to real money. There doesn't mean anything to anybody. Anything. I remember that national debt clock in New York that would yeah. spin. And for those of us who sort of want the nation to be on a firm financial footing, that thing is sort of the, the monetary equivalent of the doomsday clock that those scientists put together. Except this one was always moving every single second. And right. the numbers would accumulate and flash by in this incredible, uh, incomprehensibly rapid stream of debt. Your heart sank. And I think everybody who walked around the national debt clock learned to ignore it, to laugh at it, to just sort of yeah, be silent right. with some imagined... It was like a, a compendium of how many uh, angels we've now become well, compared, compared of a pin. But in, in a way, I mean, the, the thing about the national debt, which I think is so, so, so becomes so troublesome. First of all, yeah, we passed thirty trillion dollars. That's a quarter of a million dollars for the taxpayer. Um, and uh, I think that I don't was that like on the front page of the New York Times, the front page of any paper. I mean, or maybe just a little box, like, hey, hey, friends, you know, it, you know, uh, uh, notable things have happened today. Um, and I think it's because if you're on the left, 
your argument is a little consistent. It's, I mean, it is consistent in a sense that it doesn't matter because it doesn't. Because if you're on the left, you're like, well, we could simply raise taxes and it'd be fine. We could raise taxes. We can yeah, we don't get more money. Yeah, we but, or or that right. But the 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 bottom sort of the the, the philosophical position that the left has about the national debt is it's not really doesn't it's all an accounting error because all we need to do is to raise taxes on everybody, um, and then it's paid off. Presto chancho. And they're not actually wrong about that. Um, the problem, of course, is we raise taxes and the economy <laughs> tanks, and then the great engine of American ingenuity and American capitalism and progress fa fails. But that's not something that keeps them awake. It's something that keeps people on the right awake because we sort of know that the more money you keep in circulation for people to do creative things with, the better the world is. Um, I think that, but I all think this is like tomorrow, right? Yeah, but all this is like 50, 20 years from now, right? So it's like it's easy to. It's easy to forget about it. I mean, I wish I wish the people on the left were as terrified about the disaster of the American debt bomb as they were about the fanciful climate change disasters that they invented in their head. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that's almost heartwarming and touching to me about what you just said is that the left believed that we could just raise taxes to pay off the national debt. We could. But the idea that they would say, we're so worried about this debt, we're going to raise taxes and pay that debt off, as opposed to saying, we're going to raise all these taxes and spend them on a huge new kaleidoscopic panoply of yeah, new, no, that new too. programs. Oh, yeah, they, they, candy. Yeah, given the opportunity, <laughs> yeah, given the opportunity to, raise, to, 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 to uh, raise taxes and make us eat a spinach, no, I don't think so. Well, there, there, there yeah, is a well, philosophical economic position, I mean, just to finish this, this off, the, uh, that the left has, which is that if you raise taxes and prove that you can raise taxes, right, because the, you know, our debt holders are always wondering, well, could they do that? And if you prove that you can, you've bought yourself another 25 years of, good, of genuinely positive goodwill feeling from the, uh, the people who hold the paper. So the theory is like, well, we'll raise taxes and we'll spend it on, you know, whatever they spend it on. They always manage to convince themselves that uh, actually we're, we just spent $3 trillion, and, and, and they use that phrase they always use, and it's paid for. Remember when they it's paid for. It's an it's an investment. It's, yeah, a, it's an inv any time that they're spending, it's an investment. As though you're sitting down with somebody with green eye shades and he's telling you exactly how this three trillion you're doing fine. It's paid for in the, fu in the future. Yeah, it's good. It's great. <sighs> well, in a, in in something a little bit more germane to what uh, people have in their lives. The debt, of course, is a fair amount, really, yeah. when you think about it. But there's the CNN issue, and you may think, oh, good Lord, this is just nothing but succession-style New York media politics. But it really isn't, is it? For those people who pay a lot of attention to who tells you what through the screens, the CNN story is illustrative of what? Corruption? Nepotism? Yes. Some rot at the heart of the enterprise that actually should make everybody turn away en masse from the channel and, and shun it for good? Or is this just going to blow over and there will be the usual chattering class belief that CNN is somehow an objective gold standard up there with the New York Times that the scribes who put down the bones of history for the future to recall? Uh, those of us who tuned out of CNN a long time ago have been looking at the people who have been arrested or cast off or the rest of it just sort of see this as indicative of the whole media culture in New York. Rob, you're there in New York, of course, with your... Yeah, attuned. I'm just yeah. I mean, my antenna are. are uh, uh, yeah, who, who knows what happened? I mean, I don't really know what happened. But it, this has all the earmarks to me of this of corporate intrigue. Um, and you have a, a long-standing um, media executive uh, in Jeff Zucker who has um, 
I'm, I'm trying to be diplomatic here. Uh, in, in depending on wh where you are in the pantheon or the spectrum of the of the entertainment business, and I've sort of been on both sides. I'm not really, I'm not been in the news business, right? But kind of, you know, like I'm in the chit chat business. I guess this is what this is. But having been in the uh, entertainment side, I do remember him and when he was running NBC, and I do remember when he ran um, uh, was kicked upstairs to NBC Universal, and I do remember <laughs> he went over to CNN, and at no point. Did the organizations that he touched improve? They didn't actually get better. They they either the, the decline either he stayed you know stemmed some kind of particular decline or it got worse. I mean I am very proud of the work we do, James, here on our podcast. I think we do a really good podcast. I think if you're listening to this podcast and you are a member of Ricochet, I uh, thank you and we're pleased that you're members with us. Some of you are not. I'm going to give you all sorts of reasons in a minute to join. But uh, you know we often have more listeners than certain gay parts of the CNN ratings. And so you're, so you're just kind of – this is an example, I think, of a, what happens in a company when one, one guy is really good at playing a president of a company without actually being good at being president of the company. And then eventually he's kicked out of a re for a weird triviality that it's impossible for me to parse – that half of people think there's something else, there's something darker. And the other half think, oh, you know what, this is the guy that he had just been promoted over, taking him out uh, with ammunition provided by the guy he fired, Chris Cuomo, which is highly possible. But I think it's, this is more of a story of um, corporate uh, sharks uh, killing each other, uh, and therefore fun. I think therefore joy, I'm really enjoying every twist of it. Than a, than a larger question about the media. I don't think there's anything that we're, you and I or anybody is going to be surprised about when it comes out. That, oh, I think the girlfriend worked for, for, for Andrew Cuomo, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I think it's going to be less than that. It's the Cuomo nexus that, 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 that dovetails into the pandemic and the treatment of it by the governor, lorded and lionized for his right. uh, treatment of his uh, sexually exploitative, the, the way a thousand homosexuals bloomed across the nation in, 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 in rapturous regard for his, the way he handled this. I mean, in any normal society, you're going to have uh, scandals like this. But when you twin it with a pandemic, it makes it somehow much more fascinating to realize how much of the national narrative was shaped for some right. by this by this concatenation of Cuomo's and Zucker's and the rest of it. And then you see that CNN, which had gone all in on Trumpism, has fallen by what ninety or anti-Trumpism has fallen by ninety percent, I believe it is, or wasn't even I mean just catastrophic yeah. loss of people of people. Which which leads you to believe that perhaps the route they took was not the route to uh, continued success. So do you think then that the people who are looking at the bottom line, which is all that really matters, I mean they're, they're there to make a profit, they're not a, a philanthropic organization, are going to look at this and say, what if, what if we try to restore the brand by shoring <laughs> up our reputation no. and becoming the most the most down the middle objective and empirically based news organization that exists in this country because I think that there actually is a niche for people who want it straight up who right. don't want it tinged by what they perceive to be the uh, the biases or I mean because as, as you know when you listen to NPR the rest of these things you hear people talking in a way that tells you that they don't understand they, they have no belly feel to use uh, you know free speech and right. for for the other side 
they, they can't intellectually apprehend what it's like to inhabit the ideas of the right. So they, the right. writing is, well, and you find that in the, the, the right as well. But wouldn't it be refreshing to just have somebody be, as, <laughs> truly for the first time in decades, to say, yeah. here's the truth. Maybe, but like, like Zucker, I mean, you know, uh, uh, CNN, um, w d during this, n this 2016 campaign, uh, the primary season, gave Donald Trump a lot of free, what they call earned media. He was on a lot. They were, because he was great TV, right? And I think they felt the same way about Andrew Cuomo with his daily press conference. Now, the, the, you know, the press conference was very ludicrous, and I, but I think, of course, I think the same thing of some of those rallies that Trump did. Um, but it was good TV, so they did it. it but they're interested in good TV. Now, whatever you think about Fox News, I mean, Fox News has two distinct, they, they think they have two distinct paths, right? They've got this sort of c uh, commentary part, which is extremely popular in primetime, and I think er early um, the morning show that Fox and Friends is sort of, is, is definitely commentary. And then during the day, they have a very, very good um, news organization. Of course, the Brett Baer show is a really, really excellent news um, hour. But the, they make a lot of money on the, on the, on Tucker and Laura and Sean and that, right? They, they make a lot of money on that. And the, the, the thing, it, it, it's, uh, I think it's, it, it's um, attractive to think that the reason that those things are popular is because uh, they are, um, you know, right wing or pro Trump, which is really what they were. Um, but on the other hand, uh, th I think it diminishes the talent involved. Now, I sort of I disagree with Tucker on a lot of things. I disagree with Laura on a lot of things. But they are really good at what they do. They're good broadcasters. There's a reason why those numbers for Sean and Laura and Tucker are so high. Um, and there's no reason why you couldn't find great broadcasters on the left. Traditionally, we've had them. They've been in TV and radio for 100 years, right? It's just that the ones that they have on CNN are so bad. So... The you know I like Jake Tapper a lot I think he's pretty fair, uh, he's sort of the Brett Bear over there, um, but all they need to do if they want to if they want to do that kind of uh, um, full throated opinion editorial commentary programming like Fox does so successfully they just need better people, and that's a management problem, uh, and now they have the they've lost their manager and you could tell that there was a problem at CNN because the people who stood up the loudest for Jeff Zucker were the on-air personalities. And the great, there was a press conference, they had a, a conference call, I mean, a couple of days ago that was leaked. <laughs> and the people who loved him the most were the people on the air who are not performing in the ratings. Now, you, uh, if you have a low-rated talent talking about how, how, how much they love the CEO, then you understand there's a management problem. They're not supposed to, they should be terrified of him. They should be thrilled that he's gone because they should believe that the new guy, the, uh, whatever it is, they should have been fired. They're looking at the ratings too. They, they know what number 77 is. So um, I, I can't help but think of this in terms of the media and the, and, uh, and the business and the ratings and you know, if I were the new guy, if I had been Zucker, I would have made a clean sweep of their nightly uh, talkers and found stars. I mean, they, they are there, just find them. I mean, that's, I mean, nobody thought that the people who are stars now on Fox were stars 10 years ago. Not at this level. You just have to find them. You just have to be good at it. Um, <laughs> and right now, they're just trying to do. They're trying to get the people that CN, that MSNBC doesn't want, and that is not a recipe for success. No. The question is, you know, are the people that they would get on the left have the same sort of appeal to their audience as uh, as Tucker and Laura and the rest of them? In other words, the guy, I, I, you're right. I mean, Stelter, Maddow, 
Uh, not an attractive bunch of people to listen to. They're not particularly intelligent. Trey Reed is not the, 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 the right. most uh, blinding tungsten bulb that, that you can <laughs> find at the Home right. Depot. Um, but th- I think they have a problem, and I'm sure the problem is probably exists to some extent to the right as well, he says, with the obligatory bold side vision, uh, that the dialogue, the discourse on the left now, is becoming increasingly constricted by a series of ideas that, that yeah. get prescribed certain ideas. So if you really wanted, I mean, it'd be great if they got somebody who was free swinging and didn't care what, you know, what, uh, you know, hire Glenn Green- Greenwald, who I'm sure people now regard as a tool of the right because he's on Tucker's, even though this you know, guy's a... From, from way back when he was on the left. Uh, Matt Taibbi uh, from Rolling Stone, I never pronounce his name correctly, is also a guy who's on the left, but he's quite, quite um, out of sync with the way his side right. is moving because right. he stands with free enterprise and is suspicious of the government and is sort of locked in admiration Glaze, yes, of government thing, yeah. to a point. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, Matt, I don't think is a particularly compelling t- television personality, but no, he's, he's, a, you know, right. he's a flower like a hothouse orchid. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know who they have exactly that they could do, and yes, they could double down on it and just be better at it, but really, isn't there something to be said for some place to, to which we all can turn and say, yeah. well, here, here are, the, because as I keep saying, to use that, that clunky phrase that will never catch on, non-contiguous information streams means that people have their own sets and their own facts and their own precepts and they don't intertwine. The streams don't cross Ghostbuster style. Uh, so we all have our own little places in which we live with increasingly no center thing from which, I mean, I, I right. quoted the Wash, I cited a Washington Times piece in a post I did on Ricochet and it got at people angry because it was the Washington Post, which is immediately seen right. as disqualifying. <laughs> You know, well, I'm sorry, they're talking facts, they talk to people, they have quotes, yeah. we're going to have to go with that. We have to agree that there are places that we may not like because of Covington or that editorial or the rest of it, but if the Washington Post says that six inches of snow fell, and I'm in Washington and six inches of snow fell, I feel I can quote their weather page. We don't, we don't have that anymore, right? Yeah, that's right. And that's we right. Have well, they ruined it. Fractured places, totally. They ruined it. The left ruined it. I mean, they they, they took over. But I mean, but I'm just talking about sheer entertainment. I mean, you're right. It would be great if we had that. That would be great. Uh, and I think maybe. Sorry, Rob. I, I'm going to interrupt. If I was CNN, I'd have some. No, if I was Fox, I'd have some gong sound. There'd be the swooshing, sweeping graphic that would say "breaking news," and everybody would have to pay attention. That's the way they get us, right? They keep fracturing our attention span and making us say, "Shiny object. Look at this. Look at this." Well, I just did that to interrupt because we have to tell you about something that is the opposite of the sort of ajisa that you feel when you watch cable news. What's better and more restful and relaxing than than sleep, frankly? And good sleep is important. You know, a lot of stuff is important in your day. Uh, I mean, the details matter, right? I mean, the groceries that you will select, get the right ones so your family feels can be great. The shoes that you wear on your morning run or the, when you walk into the office, they got to be right, or otherwise, you know, your dogs are going to bark at the end of the day. Tires you put in your car, everything's detailed, and you know that, and so you try to do the best. Well, no one wants to cut corners on what's important, and few things matter more than what I just told you about that good night's rest. Bowen branches, signature sheets feel so soft and light with it that you're not actually sleeping on a cloud, and they're sustainably made for uncompromising quality from field to factory. I love them because, well, because I love to sleep, and I love to sleep in the sheets because as many years as I've had them, they just get better. And that's right. I've had these sheets for years. I can't say that about any other set of sheets I've ever had in my life. 
The signature hand-to-sheets and bowling branch are bestseller for a reason. They're buttery soft with lightweight organic cotton and a classic saffron weave for sheets that get softer over time, guaranteed. Not too hot, not too cool, and the perfect year-round sheets for most sleepers. Bowling Branch focuses on quality over quantity. No inflated thread counts here. 17,000 threads. More isn't always better. Best of all, Bowling Branch gives you a fair price, plus 30-day risk-free trial with free shipping and returns. So experience the best sheets you've ever felt at BowlingBranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code RICOCHET at checkout. That's Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com. Bowl and Branch.com, promo code RICOCHET. And we thank Bowl and Branch for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. And now we welcome to the podcast the scribe of our discontented twilight, Walter Kirk, novelist, literary critic, essayist. His novels included She Needed Me, Mission to America, most notably Up in the Air, maybe, and be, of course, that acclaimed motion picture starring George Clooney. Great film, great book. More recently, he's published a memoirs, Lost in the Meritocracy and Blood Will Out. I believe you're in Montana at present. Is that correct? Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm way out in western Montana, Livingston, Montana, population 7,000. Um, and uh, everything's good here. We've been back to normal for a year and a half. I keep taking little, uh, side trips out of Montana, like I saw Rob and... Uh, New York a week and a half ago. And everyone else is still taking seriously something that, to my mind, now looks like mime or something. Like, who are those mimes going around the street with their masks and, you know, distance? And, uh, so Montana is not just a state right now. It's the past, basically. We basically didn't go into the Great Reset. We jumped back after a short time, and uh, everything that I uh, experienced here seems totally irrelevant to the rest of the country now. You're from you're from there, right? I mean, you're from, you grew up close to where you are, right? Uh, I'm from Minnesota, another M state, off oh. Erie, with Montana. Um, yeah, yeah. I've been out, two Minnesotans here. I've been out here since uh, 1990. Uh, Moved here from New York City, basically for simple financial reasons. Uh, couldn't afford New York. Uh, New York was in one of its downturns in about 1990, and came out here, bought a house for sixty thousand, started writing, you know, novels. <laughs> Stopped worrying about, you know, whatever uh, what my Ivy League classmates were doing uh, exactly later. All the all the track keeping that you did in the city seems to disappear in the state of Montana. You lose uh, you lose sight of, you know, what average incomes are. When I go back right. to New York and I see people making decisions and I see the, the what the co-ops cost and the, the super tall, you know, sort of empty real estate monoliths, and I, I go, my God, it really is like Babylon compared to, you know, the Midwest. <laughs> right. You're singing James's tune here. <laughs> they exacerbated all differences that they could in, with COVID. Every difference that sort of roughly aligned with a right, left, or a, you know, establishment or anti-establishment set of issues uh, 
was exacerbated with COVID. They've got people yelling at each other, calling the cops on each other, putting passive aggressive signs in their windows, warning people what to do. We've turned into like a, a sort of neurotic uh, monkey in the zoo that's feeding itself and posting rules and becoming more and more, you know, obsessive. Meanwhile, pastors of the country look on going, they're just choosing that. They don't have to do that. Like if they drive 100 miles, they'll see that that's like totally unnecessary and weird. And so now travel within the United States for me is like one of the most disorienting things because I basically go to two different kingdoms uh, quite regularly. So Montana weirdly didn't used to be as different as it is now due to COVID. We simply couldn't buy into this thing. So we, when you don't buy the package, you can't really buy any of it. And so now we look on at the rest of the world having the greatest breakdown of all time. Totally not evident from anywhere that I ever go. Even though I read the New York Times and find out that the place I am is apparently a center of contagion. I would never know. But I've actually now been told that I'm wrong about my like hundred foot periphery, and the New York Times is right as far as coronavirus. Um, Montana has become one of the uh, scapegoat states where the virus apparently recedes to a sort of mountaintop kingdom, waits and comes back, right? Uh, like a dragon. Yeah, like a dragon. You know, that, that's kind of my, what Montana does to certain. You know, certain people from Cambridge, Massachusetts think Montana's performing that function. We're like a, we're like a dysfunction locker. That, uh, <laughs> well, no, it's the same in Minnesota. I, I, I mean, here you have the you have the elite class in the blue in the blue city of Minneapolis, St. Paul, and they're performing this little mask of the Red Death, looking down at all the peasants, right? But they're locked in their own castle while they believe that the peasants are dying en masse. You go outside of the city, and it takes you about 20, 30 minutes before you're in a different culture completely. And I do this a lot to drive from Minneapolis to Fargo. And by the time you get to Fargo, North Dakota, you have a completely different culture than you have in Minnesota that you can actually see when you cross the border. Over here, lots of regulations and lots of taxes. Over here on the North Dakota side, prosperity and new buildings and new homes stretching into the potato fields as far as the eye can see. So, I, I mean, I absolutely get that. And so when I talk to people in the city about what it's like out there, they just – it's as though they think that I'm going into the, the world of the Morlocks where you find this post-apocalyptic world of shambling creatures with shankered faces who are all diseased. And that, that disease is going to come back into our pure city. We're doing everything right. We are masked up in the grocery stores at this very moment. But the minute that those people that we drop this, the people out there, the infection is going to swarm back in like a tsunami wave into our pure little enclave. But the thing is, is that I mean, you know, Walter, in 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 Montana, in a town of seven thousand, <laughs> it's almost as if that was seen as the ideal in these nineteen seventies post-apocalyptic hippie movies, where that was the true getting back to nature, the true spirit of what it was like to be alive. And now that's regarded with horror. And now that's regarded as this 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 <laughs> this sort of nuclear inferno that inculcates everything wrong with the country. And you've been writing a lot about the Canada tr uh, trucker strike on Twitter. Give us your take on that, because you know Montana, Minnesota, North Dakota, Canada—we're all kind of culturally connected here more than we are, say, in Manhattan. What do you see the response to that as as being indicative as a lesson for Canada and a lesson for America? 
what we've already won. Simply putting themselves in place and establishing themselves is the victory. Now, no matter what the government does with them, up to a, you know, overreach crackdown where, you know, there's chaos and it looks like the government really, you know, freaked out. That could happen, but everything just sort of gets away. That's not going to happen. These guys are in there. They've done it. They, they are very conscious of themselves as on the cutting edge of a, you know, sort of Western populist uh, tide that they think is coming. They can't really wait much longer. They've been so demonized. Everybody, you know, who uh, works with their hands or lives in the middle of the country or didn't finish college or whatever it is, all, all of these uh, negative resume items that put you on the racist insurrection, you know, troglodyte, anti-vax, target space, because they see them all inhabited target space in culture. Uh, their job is to be isolated and slowly picked off, you know. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, it's the freaky thing about COVID, when it really comes down to it, is that I find myself having to pretend I'm worried in all kinds of situations where I'm not. Like, right. Do you think we all do? I mean, don't you think that's like a, a, one of the problems is that we're discovering that we have to be characters in a play that we didn't write and aren't directing and have no stake in, but we still have to behave? Well, that, that's very um, that's very insightful. Thank you. They, they are hijacking. <laughs> so here's what's happened. Wait, just stop with that's insightful. I don't they think we really need to hear any more from you. Every narrative. Yeah. They hijack. Well, wait, okay. Every narrative, every personal, every family, every community, every political narrative, they hijacked with COVID-19. Right. And yet, I, I got to say, like, I, I, I never, when, when I'm, we, we knew each other in L.A. a little bit, I never thought of you as a, a, a crazy right-wing nut. And um, I'm not. And I, I, so tell me, like, are you, what are you, are you, are you a crazy right-wing nut? Well, now that you live in Montana and you know, I, whatever, I, I now have completely see. I, I see. <laughs> I see how social media and the algorithms that mix our news and right. our uh, interactions. I see how they work. Okay, and these algorithms have one real directive, which is go out into the world, get power from the people out there, and bring it back into the system. Get them to buy stuff, get them to do right. stuff, get them to vote a certain way. Reach out, and while these people think that they're idly regarding a list of, you know, quotable or sub-quotable things, we're sucking out their power. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. And, 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 but I mean, that you're, and that's what even the press right. media is now doing. Right. But you're, but you're, um, that's you're, you're, uh, that is not right wing. But if you, I'm, I'm reading your Twitter feed, it, it, it's still funny. I mean, you still write, you know, yeah. I mean, you still kind of have a smile on your face. Not right now because you're drinking coffee, but in general. How are you, is, I'm, I put, I'm, let me ask you the question this way. You wrote a great book that became a wonderful movie called Up in the Air, in which it's really about one guy and his strange need 
to travel, his, this, the fact that he loved this sort of displacement of travel, and he was and his currency of his life was was uh, um, airline miles, airline points. And we all pointed at that guy and said, "Boy, that's a shallow life he's living." Um, and, and that was kind of the the moral message of the movie and the book, but it was sort of a hopeful message. By the end, do, do you? Are you have that? I mean, now you're kind of saying we all live up in the air. Well, I mean, we're going to be lucky to live up in the air soon. At least the air is a physical element. I mean, at least it's got birds and clouds in it. At least it's some something that we recognize from our millions of years of evolution on Earth. At least it's not the metal friggin' verse, whatever that is, where you are literally encased in a cartoon that slowly, <laughs> you know, using subsonic and all other sorts of uh, tricks, creates an all-pervasive atmosphere in which your identity is dislocated from your body. That's the whole point of the goggles, of the sound, of the sight. And when you are dislocated from your body, what do they do with you? They put you in some version of an amusement park mall, horrible American space that like picks your pocket and space. Um, the metaverse. I'm so glad Facebook is cracking. I hope everybody sold out of it. You know, I hope uh, <laughs> that is the least attractive vision that was ever given for mankind since you know. Uh, everything. Since Freudel. Same amount of money. Yeah. The problem with the metaverse as it stands now is that it just isn't very good and it's too uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's not there yet. When it is, that's when I start to worry. But I can see exactly how it would be appealing and seductive to people now. But right now, it's a hot, heavy thing on your head. It's ridiculous to be in. Everyone zips around with a torso with no legs. And at the end of it, when you come out of it, you feel the sense of shame that you've been there at all. One of the reasons I'm happy that Apple says they're not going to get into it, because if there's anybody who could perfect an all-persuasive, completely immersive environment, it might be them. But I want to go back to what you were saying before about the algorithm, because you had this tweet that stuck out. I remember, I, I saved it. It was from the 28th. You wrote, I just glanced at Twitter and saw, as if by lightning, the whole of its wriggling, squid-like algorithm. In a flash, I saw it thinking, working. It practices a kind of martial art, and its besieged opponent is the truth. No other rival is worthy of it. Finally, it is that ambitious. And I thought, okay, this is the guy I want to write the next version of Revelations, because that's <laughs> – I'm waiting for the seven-headed creatures to come out of this, too. But you're right. I, the weird, odd thing is that hardly anybody's on Twitter. And of the people who are on Twitter, hardly any people tweet. There's a certain small number of people who do, but yet – it seems as if what happens on Twitter is this is the inflamed nerve that runs up and down the national spinal cord. Or am I wrong? How did that happen? How did something so out there and confined seem to come to characterize the national conversations on just about every single issue? Post-war America has been obsessed with the question of statistical normalcy, with being average. What is what the, as it became suddenly a mass society, it wanted to know figures and standards and benchmarks. You know, uh, it, it wanted wages uh, standardized. It wanted uh, the financial market uh, sort of pro made Protestant and brought out to the people. Uh, so, 
What's, ha what's, what's happening right now is that at the same time these companies and these tech companies and these metaverse makers try to uh, englobe us in basically a new ad space or a new incentive space where they can manipulate us and do a kind of surveillance that's global of our being and, and where they can convince us to actually move into identifying with different avatars so they're going to change our social um, um, DNA through through uh, social media. But you're right. It's only a minority of people who actually use this. And the press uses it because the press always has some surrogate for actual reporting. Like the press always has something like Twitter or the Gallup poll or, you know, a stringer in every city as they used to do at Times. They never really consult the people they always find a surrogate. And Twitter is now the place where you you go to measure public opinion and the zeitgeist and so on. But it's a constructed place that is already totally biased toward one vision of what's going on. And uh, that kind of algorithmic capture of certain you know platforms that then imprint themselves on the mind on top of this move to censorship, where like it's gonna be the war of all against all. I won't be on YouTube if he'll if he doesn't leave. He won't right. be on this da 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 like in the end it'll be like one person with one person yelling at each other like <laughs> molecules for the entire society. It won't be political parties or anything. It'll just be pairs of people yelling at each other randomly scattered across the globe. Um, while some power that has yet to completely show its face strides into the arena and says, I'll be running things now. Um, because our situation from the technical to the way the media is structured to the fact that we, dude, I stopped reading the Washington Post so long ago. like. If you keep buying stock from a guy who lied to you once, you're probably stupid. If you keep buying stock from a guy who lied to you three times, what you're doing is you're buying back into his lie. You, you, right. it, you know, I don't think anybody in the establishment can fathom what total unplugging, total abandonment, total revolution of credibility and credentials will look like. But it will happen. Because Wait, I'm sorry. Let me just clarify. What what will happen? Is that we finally unplug ourselves and just live our lives? Well, the Washington Post or you know, yeah. uh, Twitter or the arbiters of uh, right or wrong opinion or thoughtful uh, uh, commentary and so on, they're all they've all failed. Really, they failed. Right. Okay, and yeah, like they made up some big stories that turned out the biggest stories turned out not to be true. They've become like police who just hunt and censor other press organizations. So, let, let me let me ask you this. Okay, so um, and I want to ask you about your new your new book too, just really quick. But you want yeah. uh, your, your writing is fantastic, and I've always admired it. Not just because you're my friend. If you were my friend, I'd probably not like it so much because, you know, but it's good. Uh, I have two questions. One is like, okay, how much? I mean, you're a literary figure. 
and you are a, a, a novelist and you screenwriter and you have you know you are people mention you you're on lists you work on you've worked on some television shows how many people in your um in that part of your life who are by definition part of this establishment that you're pointing to are like hey man hey you've gone crazy stop talking about this i mean has that happened yet or or have you felt a, I don't know, have you felt a pushback or a sting or anything because you're, you're saying stuff that, um, that it is easy to caricature, I guess I should say? Uh, the first effect is that my life has grown immeasurably more interesting. I, <laughs> okay. I, I, I moved into better friend circles, more interesting intellectual um, sort of arenas, and, and, and uh, started meeting more serious, more diverse people than I've ever met rising through the sort of, you know, marble staircase of the media in Manhattan. It's a much more exciting, effervescent, uh, chaotic, confusing, but glorious time because whether you still read the Washington Post or not, the reason you're actually reading is to find out what the regime wants you to think. Like, you know there's no way to really gauge the truth value of what they say except by their bad record, which would suggest it's a toss-up. So, you know, you might read the Washington Post to find out what the State Department or whatever is trying to tell the people that day. But for some kind of, like, truth that is dug up in secret and inconveniences the powerful, like, do you really think they do that? Like, they're just, they are bad men. They're, I mean... Just move to the most extreme position on these uh, on the credibility of these organs that you can, because it doesn't matter if the individual reporters and journalists and columnists are uh, good-hearted souls or have integrity. At some point, decisions of a certain consistent fashion have been made over years now. That it completely trumps any sort of journalistic claim to right. credibility. Russia Gate right. being the main one. I mean, right. we were literally held on the edge of our seats by a phony thing. And segue to this, you know, virus that's going to segue to God knows. Right now, they're in tryouts. They're trying out different crises to sort of move in. Um, you know. Wait, I do have one more. Can I do one more? Hold on, I got to interrupt you. Just like in Montana, where they split a cord of wood with an axe, and it's sharp, and it's hard, and it's final. I'm going to do that for this conversation because I got to tell you something about this. This year, Valentine's gifts are as easy as kiss. K I S S. Keep it simply soft with new loungewear, pajamas, and underwear from Tommy John. When you and your favorite person are wearing Tommy John, you're that much more comfortable, so you can do <clears throat> everything better. That's why Tommy John doesn't just have customers; they have fanatics. 98% of men and women love Valentine's gifts from Tommy John. Tommy John loungewear makes you feel perfectly at ease every time you wear it. With soft tri-blend and micromodal fabrics with a four-way stretch, you'll feel the love all year long. With over 17 million pairs sold, 17 million pairs, huh? Tommy John makes couples across the country comfier than ever. So let them do the same for you and your Valentine. And the great thing is, is that um, they last. They're well-made and they last, which means this Valentine's Day you can wear them, and next Valentine's Day as well. And after that, and after that, and after that, and the best thing is, no risk. No, 
Every gift is backed by Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear, or it's free, guaranteed. Get $20 off your order of $100 or more right now at TommyJohn.com slash Ricochet. Go to TommyJohn.com slash Ricochet for $20 off. TommyJohn.com slash Ricochet. See the site for details. And of course, as ever, we thank Tommy John for sponsoring this, the Ricochet podcast. So, I mean, I guess what I, I guess what I, I, I get it. I get it. I just, um, your work in general is optimistic. You don't sound that optimistic right now to me. Well, dude, okay, let's be optimistic, right? <laughs> no, I, I just, I really, I really have to be. You can be as pessimistic as you like. When you turn on the news to see the president, doesn't, like, non-trivial chance you might see the president die, like, or fall down, or, like, become non-functional. Like, True. It, right off the wings of the uh, Operation Joe Biden, I don't know what's going on. You know, if there are nets and, you know, ambulances stacked up or whatever. Because the biggest lie in the country is like, this is normal. Everything. Okay, but, but you're telling me that you don't believe it and people in Montana don't believe it. People who don't believe it. So what would you say to them? A lot of people in Montana believe it. I don't. I, I, I made a, I made the sausage, man. I can tell you what. They don't clean their kitchens to the standards that they tell you. Don't you know? <laughs> don't eat a hamburger shit, okay? Very very uh, provocative uh, metaphor. You know, <laughs> eat something, you know. Go read the National Enquirer or something. Don't get drawn into the machinations of the elites right. by reading the foreign coverage of the Middle East and the quality. Well, where do they get their news then? What are, the, what are the sources for information in the town of 7,000 people? What are pe- what do people cite? I got this from, you know I heard this from. What's the that we always had, the ones that until maybe 20 years ago were actually sufficient. You get the news from your neighbor from walking down the street. You get the weather from, you know, what temperature it is, et cetera. Now, when the news completely diverges as it has, from the conditions that you see around you. I mean, we, you know, the country should be uh, sort of homogenous. We all get the same cable news. We, we all uh, go on Twitter and Facebook and they, you know, uh, algorithmically select and suggest prestige things that, you know, tend to favor the consensus view. Anyway, but me being me being optimistic has nothing to do with which I am has nothing to do with my absolute like ridiculous shock at what we've got going for a public narrative. It's crazy, man. <laughs> I mean, we've got we, we, we've got the heads of states being viewed not you know at parties and sporting events, not doing the the odious things that are shutting down their economies as they selfie out, like, something, like, creepy is happening. It, right, it, and, and it's actually going, and we're let, and it, it, it's just zipping by the, the scroll, and we're not remembering, oh, my God, that guy, he was going to, he said he was going to put people in prison if they didn't wear a mask. Mm-hmm. And there he is with Magic Johnson, of all people. We forget things, but what we would remember, for example, if we found a bear in our house. <laughs> Tell us about the bear in the house. So I, I have a book that's coming out, like a, a sort of a miniature uh, short story slash novella for Amazon that they uh, commissioned for me. And 
the commission was open, but during the time I was thinking of writing it, my father died of ALS in his cabin in Montana, his retirement cabin. He'd been a patent lawyer, worked in Minnesota, and he retired out here to work. Um, and it was my privilege at the very peak of COVID, which is one of the reasons I'm at odds with the COVID narrative in general, at the very sort of early peak in the spring of, you know, 2020, I, I had this sort of taken care of a man who was dying of ALS and who, you know, couldn't feed himself, couldn't breathe, couldn't, I, I mean, he could breathe, but could barely swallow it. So my world became very collapsed. My father died and uh, he had always in my dreams, uh, my sort of Freudian schemes in my own dreams is that the bear in my dreams must be my father and my father's represented by a bear. He always was. Um, a couple of days after he died out at his cabin, uh, we put a uh, alarm uh, video camera up in the uh, living room because we couldn't find the keys to the front door of the cabin. And there was this bear in the house walking around, uh, making itself at home. It was an hour from the, uh, so we had to drive out there. Um, and this bear had come through the window um, over my father's uh, chair at the dining room table, the one he always sat at, somehow opened this uh, window, come down, um, and made himself at home. And uh, it's kind of a dreamlike story because at the same time I was, you know, dealing with this suddenly taking uh, possession of this cabin out in the woods. In the main world, everything had fallen apart. And it, I came out like Rip Van Winkle. And it was hard, having just put my father, you know, into the next world, to take seriously the level of neurosis and uh, just obsessiveness when I came out. So I, I drifted further and further from there, both biographically. And it could be available as an ebook on Amazon, correct? Yes. Owned by Jeff Bezos, who owns the Washington Post. <laughs> yeah. So why should I trust anything, anything at all, Richard? I was about to say that. <laughs> I, don't I know it? Don't I know it? Hey, um, it's been a pleasure. It really has. Everybody go buy. Go buy Bear in the House and pick up Meritocracy and Blood Will Out. As a matter of fact, buy on a physical hard copy yes. up in the air so that someday yeah. when the movie gets deplatformed for whatever reason, you'll have proof that it actually existed. Um, thank you for joining us. We'd love to do it again. Regards to Montana from your old ancestral home of Minnesota. Yep. And uh, thank you, hey, Walter. Walter, nice to see you. And my real question at the end of this, I know we're saying goodbye, but where is your podcast? Let's do it. Are you saying this on the air right now? <laughs> yeah, I'm saying it on the air right now. Yeah, I'm just going to put you on the. I'm putting you on the record. Um, uh, it's about to emerge. We will. We'll, we'll talk right. after we get off. That's good. That's what I wanted to hear. Fantastic. Thanks, Walter. See you soon. Bye. See ya. Bye bye. And when Walter does have his podcast, by the way, of course, we hope you'll be able to access it through Ricochet, and uh, if you don't, you'll have to use the internet to get it. Now, the question is, when it comes to the Internet, how secure are you? And you say, oh, I'm very secure. I have my passwords. I use incognito mode. Leave me alone. Don't tell me about a VPN. It makes me nervous. Well, let, 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 listen, 
using the internet without using ExpressVPN is like checking your baggage at the airport with a you know without a lock on it. I have a lock. I like it. I like the fact that I can just put this number together and, and nobody's going to be poking through my stuff. You think your stuff is kept private? Well, you, you never know who's going to go through your junk when you're taking it before they can get on the plane. Whether you've got lingerie or you know, preparation H clean or some some, some toys of a certain nature, you don't want them rando with wow. their mitts on it, right? Yeah. Well, when you go online with a, uh, without a VPN, the internet services providers they can see every single website you visit. They can also legally sell this information without your consent to ad companies and tech giants who then use your data to target and sell you stuff you'd be happy not to know about. Well, thankfully, ExpressVPN makes you fly under their radar. When you use ExpressVPN, ISPs, internet service providers, cannot see your online activity. Your identity is anonymized by a secure VPN server. That way, your data is also encrypted for maximum protection. Works on all devices. Anyone who uses your Wi-Fi can also be protected. With all that protection, you'd be amazed at how easy it is to use. Just fire up the app and snap and click one button for unfailing protection. So I like it for a variety of reasons. The security is one, the quickness is the other, the ease, and it's also fun to use as a server places in other parts of the globe. So you can see what Netflix shows them that doesn't show us. In other words, if you're not using a VPN, you, you're missing out on opportunities and you're exposing yourself to a lot of stuff you don't want to do. So why not choose one and why not choose the best Express VPN? Secure your online activity by visiting expressvpn.com slash ricochet today. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash ricochet. And you can get an extra three months for free. Free! expressvpn.com slash ricochet. And we thank ExpressVPN for sponsoring this, the Ricochet podcast. Hey, um, I know we, before yeah. we move on, can I just, um, yeah. um, I just want to make sure I get this in here, because you were talking, this is my segue, um, one of the things we have always been concerned about in the past couple of years, especially coming up now, is the sort of deplatforming of people who no one likes, or deplatforming people who say the wrong thing, uh, taking away their Twitter accounts, taking away their Facebook accounts, taking away their, uh, sometimes taking away their internet service providers. Um, and the, the one of the original sort of you know OG deplatforming, of course, is when the um, when the evil guys, evil Islamists, would put a fatwa on somebody, um, and that is why I'm telling you that there we are all going to be able, all Ricochet members, to be able to meet and ask questions of Ian Hersi Ali, who is one of the bravest, most singular voices in the fight for women's rights in the Islamic world. She is the original deplatformed, deplatformed. Uh, with a vengeance, they were going to try to kill her. They are probably still trying to kill her. And she's going to be our guest on the next No Dumb Questions webcast, which I will be hosting because I am very good at asking questions that anyone else would think are too dumb to ask. Um, I don't have any pride, James, so I'll ask those questions. So Ayanna is a former member of the Dutch Parliament. She's authored many, many books. She's been a guest here, I think, on the podcast once. And her most recent is Pray, Immigration, Islam, and the Erosion of Women's Rights, which was published last year. And she's also, as people who are on the Ricochet Audio Network know, she's the host of the Ian Hersey Ali podcast. So Thursday, February 10th, that's a week from yesterday, I guess, right? Um, 2.30 p.m. ET, 11.30 a.m. PT, uh, uh, we will be talking to her. Uh, and I'll be asking questions, and you will be asking questions on Zoom. This is a Ricochet members-only webcast, okay? So... If you're a Ricochet member, please come. Make a put a note in your uh, diary. Let's let's. I would love to see you and love to hear your questions, and she would love to answer them. That's what she's there for. If you're not a member of Ricochet and you are fascinated by this woman, as you should be, this is a perfect time to join. But even more importantly, if you're a member and you 
know anyone you think might enjoy it, you can encourage them to join Ricochet at ricochet.com slash join. Um, they'll get their first 30 days for free, and you'll get a free month if they join. So it's kind of a one-month, one-month situation. Send them an invitation at ricochet.com slash join. All the information is there. Uh, if you know somebody who um, – I mean, and if you know a student, too, let them know, because we have this a new student deal, which is free. Um, this is an important – she's an important person. She's a fascinating person. She's actually very funny and witty and interesting, too, and I hope we'll be talking a little bit about that. This is kind of a fun thing that we're doing uh, for members only, and so far we've had great, great response, and I think it's um, – you know, it's got membership has its privileges, as they used to say. The only other thing I want to pro, uh, pro promote here, um, and again, it's one of those things that, you know, it's important – if you're a member, be a member. Um, if you haven't dropped in yet, Ricochet Editor-in-Chief John Gabriel has a new show called The Nightcap. It is live at 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, every Monday through Thursday. You can tune in to hear John's review of the day's big stories with his own, you know, he's John's a very funny guy. And, and you can, of course, chime in with your thoughts. It's kind of a call-in. It's kind of a call-in radio show on the web. Uh, you got to use the uh, app Call-In, which is a new app and web platform created by a friend and run by a friend of Ricochet. Um, uh, so we're, uh, we're sort of pleased to support our friends. It's a great, great service. It lets you create and cultivate podcasts and audio communities on your own, including ours. You can subscribe to the Nightcap at callin.com, C-A-L-L-I-N.com, or you can download the uh, app on your iPhone or iPad and search for the Nightcap. And each episode is published on that webpage after it airs. Uh, and, of course um, – Here's the problem. Right now, because it's new, it's uh, only uh, an Apple. It's an Apple only uh, app right now, uh, but they are um, working hard on the Android version. So, um, sorry about that. But it's, that's gonna that's gonna plan to change. But we still want you guys to listen because Gabriel is doing terrific stuff, and we are kind of trying to reinvent or reinvigorate um, the old fun of calling radio, talk radio. Uh, and then finally, if you're a student. We're offering full-time, part-time uh, U.S. college. Well, we're offering to full-time and part-time U.S. college students and graduate students who are eligible a complimentary Ricochet membership. We want you to join. We want you to join the conversation. We want you to start the conversation. All you need is a valid student.edu email address. Uh, and um, if you know any, please spread the word. Uh, go to ricochet.com slash join. Um, that is the end of my promotion. This entire 15-minute this entire 15-minute promotional segment, by the way, a transcript can be obtained by writing to ricochet.com slash transcript. Well, great. I, and Ron has just scratched the surface of all the things you can find at ricochet.com. Yeah. I'd go even farther. I'd talk about the, the typefaces and the wonderful shade of blue, but we should probably wrap it up here. But first, it's important stuff. We were talking before about funny people, and I think, of course, America's comic sweetheart has got to be Whoopi Goldberg all these years. She got a feature. <laughs> Getting, uh, that, that used to be her thing. She, she, she's funny, 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 but now, lately, yikes. So we have the Holocaust thing. Uh, I'm not interested in, the, the, in, in, in parsing what she said. It seems obvious when you strain it through the filter of CRT and the idea of races and who is and who isn't. Kind of obvious where she's coming from. A dumb place. I'm interested in the reaction to the to the punishment because there's two schools. There's the school that says we must have grace and forgive. The other side does nothing but cancel and castigate. It must be it is beholden upon us to show a better example. And then there are those who say, no, no, they started the game. We have to play it the way they want their rules. We're not going to do Calvin Ball here. We're we're going to we're going to fight back by their terms, and then they will learn. And I'm of the opinion that that at least as tempting as it may be, correct as it may be to not give up, to not to not uh, walk out of that space. I don't think it's going to work. 
I don't think there will ever be a moment when the left says, that's it. We've lost too many of our own to some sort of cancellation or timeout. We're going to stop, and we're going to start to get along a little bit better and, and see if there's a different way to do these things without canceling everybody in sight. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, I mean, I think the punishment is stupid. I think it's stupid. All of this weird kind of booby-trapping of conversations. You use the wrong noun to describe a thing, and it's not this thing. And um, the, the executive ABC, I think, is just reprehensibly stupid. Is just, She just wanted to write a press release where she could say big words. Um, and you know, and and uh, you know, beat her chest and act like a big shot uh, in the diversity, equity, inclusion world. Um, I, I clearly, she was trying. I think trying to buy future credit. I, I mean, executive, not Ruby, trying to buy future credit in the in the. What, what, if something happens in the future and she's in trouble, she can point to this moment where, hey, I suspended Whoopi Goldberg for two weeks. Um, I don't think it's going to ever be – I mean, look, I, I can't advocate for things that I think are stupid, even if I think they're hilariously biblically just, right? It's okay. I think there's a, some justice to the fact that the left-wing establishment is eating itself and, and policing itself and suspending itself and firing itself. But I can't advocate for it. I can't say it's smart or good or I can't agree with it because it's stupid and they shouldn't be doing it. Um, so is it, you're right. It's a kind of – I mean I'm enjoying it, right, in a very, very evil way. So I think it's funny, and I think they should cut it out. But I, I can't – I don't think it's I – I think it's stupid. And I think Whoopi Goldberg didn't say anything wrong, really. She just maybe used the wrong, the wrong word to describe a thing, and then she clarified. Like the idea that we're, ha we're policing speech on how exactly you're going to describe the Holocaust is just kind of nuts to me. And um, – and so I, th I think it's I think it, it would be probably more politically useful, more socially useful for people who think it's nuts to say it's nuts no matter when they see it. Uh, and instead of saying, oh, well, I mean, I mean, I, you know, between you and me and everybody, I'm like, yeah, well, you know, listen, <laughs> this is the world you guys created, but it's still stupid. And uh, Whoopi Goldberg, who's not a person that I am, I'm not, you know, I don't watch The View. I'm not really interested in her, but whatever. She should be back at work. She should be back at work. That's the suspension is stupid, um, and the, and I think more and more people are realizing just the ludicrousness of our sort of current policing culture, um, including I guess our, our our friend Walter Kern, who uh, who has um, I mean maybe had too many red pills, uh, <laughs> but so that's kind of how I feel about it. Like you know what I mean? It's like, um, that's kind of how I a I, bowl of red I, pills I, you know, every morning for breakfast. Yeah, yes, yeah. With, uh, he is not uh, buying any of this crap. Right. Yeah, and none of the soy milk either. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it's tempting to just sort of enjoy it. Schadenfreude is like a good sherry, but, you know, after a couple of them, you don't do anything about it. So, right, when you say that it's it's fun to watch, but you don't want it to happen, and I, I'm not sure exactly if it ever stops. I just don't. I mean, you come back to his image of just, you know, the, the eventual end of society where people are eternally yelling at each other in some atomized heat death way spread out into the universe. I get that, but it doesn't seem sustainable in the long run um, um, unless, you know, it is because the culture tends to reset its attention span every morning and come up with something new and come up with somebody new. I mean, somebody once said, right. the objective of your life in, in this new world is not to be the person of the day on Twitter. This is always a person of the day on Twitter. And the whole point is to not be that guy. I fear <laughs> yeah, that Walter right, is going right. to be that guy someday. But if anybody, if there's anybody who would take that with equanimity and not care, it probably would be him. But I have to say, though, if I could just share one thing, the, the, the downside of this, just to be super 
I mean, all kinds of downsides to this. Yeah, but I mean, for me, I mean, to be super self never mind society. To my own particular it's about me. It's that you know, I write. We we both write every issue for National View, and you write more of the column meditation and the voices of James Lyle, and I write sort of the little, the cartoon version, the verbal cartoon talking And but they're both very funny, everybody. Just so you know, they're both yeah, both great. They're both great. Yeah, gotta gotta read them. And every now and then, um, I'm mostly behind the paywall. I don't know why, but every now and then they release it and it goes out in the wild. And every now and then I get just a tiny smattering, a little blip of people excoriating me mm-hmm. um, for a whole bunch of reasons. Sometimes they excoriate me because they believe that National View was uh, establishment, you know, conservatives who were leaning to Trump. And sometimes they excoriate me because National View were these far right radical pro Trumpers. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly they excoriate me because I've said something that's offended them in some way. And, and it's also, mm-hmm. most, to be fair, mostly on the left. And I have found myself thinking when I'm writing them, usually late at night, when I finally have an idea and I'm going kind of letting it kind of go, um, am I going to get in trouble for this? Am I going to be the day that this goes – will I somehow be suddenly my head above the, you know, the, the foxhole? Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I don't think it has any effect on what I write, but I, the fact that I'm aware of it, I think is sort of a, a bad sign because I know that but I know that telling people, no, no, you don't understand. I'm, I write the funny little verbal cartoon. This is a joke. Right. I am making fun. Um, we don't have that. That that doesn't really exist anymore in culture. We have a mechanism now that has imp- empowered the humorous and the literal. And the people who that's right. right, and and given them the power right. that you know the, the that the great critics used to have in the past. I mean, it used to be, you'd send something out there, you would fear that the New York Times book reviewer or art reviewer would would, would scowl upon your work. You would fear that Joan Didion would look at it, pronounce it meretricious. You, your art plummets. Yeah. All of these, you you had these annoyances, right. and, and that you you can make the argument that that was cultural gatekeeping, and we need and the democratization of it is great, but we've handed off the sort of. You're no longer being criticized for your, for the value that is for your art, for the for the skill and the success with which you performed your art. It's the fact that contained within this was a series of phonemes that indicate wrong thing, and that's got to be dragged out, and that has to be you have to you have to pay for that. So you have the humorless, literal-minded people with nothing better to do than to police the synapses of others. Driving the conversation, and then that's what I'm saying to Walter is you have the small percentage of people on Twitter, you have an even smaller percentage do anything, but yet so much of what we do and worry about is this. Is, is, I mean, I am fascinated by the people who are on Twitter to be always on Twitter. That is the entirety of their intellectual life, is parsing this fire hose of opinions that comes comes at them, and that asks. That's the thing. That's that's the baleful influence that I want to take out of all of this. That, that's why I want CNN to go back straight to the middle, and that's why I want an EMP to take out all of the servers for the Meta and Facebook and Twitter, and that we can get back to being in Montana, reading the newspaper that came off the press that the guy you know, just <laughs> down the yeah. street just like they did in Deadwood days. And then, by God, we'll get back to firm American virtues like uh, – like you know, then we'll all sleep well. We'll sleep well because we're on bowling bank sheets, and we'll walk around with pride because we're wearing Tommy John and ExpressVPN. Well, 
Even in the future, dystopian world, uh, it'll be around and you'll need it more than ever because they're going to be making you more than ever. Don't be that guy on the internet, right? Join local shows today, by the way. I think Rob, uh, do you have a 14-minute set piece you'd like to deliver right now about your reasons? If you're, well, he's not here, but so on. So join. Your reasons and oh, yeah, that's right. Exactly <laughs> right. No, I have a. I don't have. I did all the promos. Yeah, and more. As you know, as you know, promos are sacred to me. So I believe absolutely so sacrosanct as many of you would even think. Yeah. Intrude on their uh, their their holy nature. I will say this: and if you join Ricochet, wait, I know. If you join Ricochet or you go to ricochet.com, uh, we will post a picture that will explain where Peter Robinson was today, and it's pretty impressive. Ooh, ooh, pretty well, impressive, I gotta say. Well, that's fantastic. Well, next week. Let's just do nothing but tell people about the podcast and this one. Because, well, you should have been here. God knows you're not going to listen to it because of me. But you did, and so thank you. We'll see everybody in the comments at Ricochet, by the way, where members are free to hammer, you know, bang the gong and tell us where we're wrong and hearty are and give us kudos and all the rest of it. But only if you join. So we'll see everybody in the comments at Ricochet 4.0. Rob, next week. Next week, everybody. Join the conversation.
heavy duty zircon encrusted tweezers in my hand every other wrangler would say i was mighty grand by myself i wouldn't have no ball but i'd be raising my lonely cup of coffee and give my foot a push just me and the pygmy pony over by the dental floor and then I might just 